And you may be seated. How many people are ready for God's Word? Come on, how many people are ready for God's Word? Well, I honestly am so glad that you're here today. And a great big shout-out welcome to our online church, people in our city, in our province, our nation, and even around the world that join in every Sunday. We receive emails all week from people who have joined in to be part of our Sunday morning celebration. And we welcome our online church today. I want you to pull out your sermon notes. They are on the back of your bulletin, or you can pull them up on your handheld device. And I want to unpack for you a message that I'm simply entitling, The Keyhole Principle. And I'll explain that in a few moments, the keyhole principle. If you have a Bible or handheld device and you can pull up the scripture, I want you to turn with me to Job chapter 23. We're going to look at just one verse today. It's verse 10 of Job chapter 23. We're going to pull this verse apart and we're going to put the verse back together and we're going to see what God's going to do in this place. Now the book of Job is about the middle of the Old Testament. It's probably one of the oldest books in the Old Testament. It's not chronological by years, Genesis onward, but Job is actually one of the oldest books in the Old Testament. You might remember the story of Job. Job was a righteous man. He was blameless. He lived a godly life. And there was this conversation between Satan and God, and and God gave permission for Satan to try him, to test him, to bring trials onto Job. Job had a large family, 10 children. He had lots of possessions. And in the course of one day, he lost all his children. All his children died. And in the course of one day, all of his possessions were wiped away. And to top it off, he's covered with boils all the way from his head, all the way down to his toes. He's going through lots of suffering and difficulty. And he's got these group of friends, if you will, a guy named Bildad, Eliphaz, Zophar, and then finally this guy, Elihu, that gave him advice. And these first three names that I shared with you didn't really give him encouragement. It's the last guy that gave him some encouragement. And, and, but in the midst of it all, Job did not curse God. Job worshipped God. But there's one verse, and it's right in the middle of Job. And it's Job 23, verse 10. And it is our text today. And it is a declaration by Job. And I think there's some powerful, amazing truths that we can glean from this verse. So allow me, please, to read to you today, Job chapter 23, verse 10. It's a declaration of Job. He said, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. When I was a young boy growing up in Sunday school, we had memory verses. How many people remember those days? You had a memory verse. You had to learn it. Can we make this our memory verse? Now, I know you've been up and down a bit, but could you stand one more time this morning? Because I, I want us to get this verse in our mind and in our heart. So here's what we're all going to do. We're all going to loudly declare the word of the Lord today. How many people love the word of the Lord? Come on. How many of you wonderful people love the word of the Lord. So let's be people who declare the word. So uh, I'll give you a break. You can look at the screen for now. All right? You ready? If you're ready, say ready. ready. Let's do this. You're going to say it loudly. Don't, don't, don't hang me out and make me just do it. All right? One, two, three. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Let's say it again. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Now, now you're only at about 10 
on the decimeter scale. Let's raise it to a hundred. Let's just, let's lift our voice. And let's say it like we really mean it, all right? Don't, but he knows the way Lord When he has tested me. Nobody's doing it like that. But I want you to put your shoulders back. Come on, put your shoulders back. I want you to lift your head up. I want you all that's within you. Lift your voice and say it like you mean it. Can you do that? Now you're smiling. This is good. Are you ready? One, two, three. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Come on, say it again. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Now stop looking at the screen. All right? Everybody lift your head and look up to the lights. No cheating. Ready? And I'm not even going to help you. Are you ready? Nobody looking at the screen. One, two, three. The first word is but. All right? One, two, three. But... Come on, one more time. Now put a little rap into it. No, I'm just kidding. Turn to your neighbor and say, that is the word of the Lord. All right, take a seat. I want you to pull out your pen. And I want to very quickly give you ten things. We're going to spend most of our time on number one. But the first thing I want to talk to you about is the perception. Number one, the perception. Now, if you look at the screen, and if you look at your notes, I've got in brackets the first word, but. But we're going to look at the words before that. And I want to talk to you for just a couple of moments about the keyhole principle. I thought about this, and my mind went back to when I was like five years of age. And I remember this really clearly, because my mom parents, my grandma and grandpa McDermott owned this huge, I'm telling you, it was a huge old house on a hill in Cambridge, Ontario. And we used to go there as kids. And it was so big, it had three floors. And it had lots of bedrooms. In fact, on the second floor, they rented out the rooms. And on the third floor, they rented out the rooms. And they lived on the main floor. And there was like a living room. There was a big dining room. There was a big kitchen. There was a bunch of bedrooms. It was one huge home. And it had those old locks. Remember those old locks that you could look through the keyhole? Anybody remember those days? And my grandma had this ancient old key that she would use to open these doors. Five years of age, she said, Marky... Yes, she called me Marky. Don't ever call me Marky. She said, Marky, don't you go upstairs and look through the keyholes of those rooms because those are tenants. Not, I didn't go upstairs. But I would run through the house and I'd go to the room where it's looking into the big old dining room and I'd look through the keyhole and I'd, and I'd see this area. And then I'd run into another area and I'd look through the keyhole and I'd see this little area. And I'm five years of age, so you've got to understand, my perspective was limited. And I actually thought what I saw through the keyhole was all there was to the room. And I can remember when my grandma would swing open the door of this big room that, that I wasn't allowed in. It was this big room, and I'm like, wow, there's a lot more to this room than I saw through the keyhole. Sometimes in life, we think, we actually think, this, the narrow little vision of what we see that we are walking through represents all of God's purposes. There was a guy, 
His name is John Piper, and he said this quote. He said, at any given moment in your life, God is doing about 10,000 things. And you probably only, at the most, understand three of those 10,000 things. Sometimes we've got the keyhole view. And we think what we see and what we experience is all that God is doing. One writer said that the grace of God never removes trouble from our life. The grace of God leaves room for trouble to even come into our life. And Job understood trouble. Now let me talk to you for a couple of moments about the keyhole view. Then I'm going to read to you some verses. And, and, I, and I, I actually scribbled a few things in my Bible I want to read to you. And here's, here's the one thing that I wrote. Most of what happens in your life, you won't understand. I thought that was worth saying. And then there's the other thing I wrote, I scribbled it in my Bible, that the few things that you do understand, you will have a partial understanding, and you will have a limited understanding. And I scribbled down 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, that I I, want to read to you, because Paul is writing to a church at Corinth. He said, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. I think the King James Version says, we are looking through a glass, but darkly and dimly. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I mean, in my house, we got these nice mirrors that when I look in, it actually is me. And and mirrors don't lie. But in those days, their mirrors were made out of brass. And the brass was polished. And even polished brass gave a poor reflection of who you are. So Paul picks up that analogy and he's saying in life, it's like we're looking into the brass mirror and it's a poor reflection. But someday when we see Jesus, we will understand it all. Now I scribbled a few more things down in my notes. There's going to be some things that happen in life, honestly, that are going to baffle you completely. And you're going to go, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I'm even a little bothered when the pastor gets up and says, God is good. And the church goes all the time, all the time. God is good, but I don't feel his goodness. There are going to be some things that completely baffle you. And I wrote something else down in my Bible. Don't get stuck on understanding everything because it will frustrate you. God hasn't called you to understand fully, but he's called you to trust him fully. It was less than a year ago that my first cousin that I grew up with, we were just young boys, we were the same age. He was, sorry, one year older than me, but we grew up together, we hung out together, and finally his family, a number of my dad's family, moved to Florida. And just last year, just one year ago, my first cousin's daughter, outside of Orlando, Ontario, was Orlando, Florida, was murdered. So sad. And I give you the details, but I don't need to give you the details, but he was devastated. His 20-year-old daughter was murdered. And when I'm talking with my cousin, he said, Mark, I don't get it. It doesn't seem fair. I'm so numb. I'm lost. This doesn't make sense. But I'm going to cling to my God. And he keeps on going to church. And he keeps on facing life with his church community. And he keeps on walking with God. Now, church, let that sink in. That doesn't make sense. And it doesn't seem fair. I would suspect that there's some of you here today, you're going, why am I walking through this? Why am I facing so much? It's tough. It doesn't make sense. It's not easy. 
You've got a keyhole view. And I don't understand why some people walk through more stuff than others. I don't get it. And it honestly doesn't feel fair. And it doesn't make sense. But, but God is doing like 10,000 things in my life and in your life right now. And at the most, I probably only understand three of them. I want to read to you verse 1 down to verse 3, and then verse 8 down to verse 9. Let me read it to you quickly because Job's friends were trying to comfort him, and, and it wasn't going so well. And so Job replied, this is verse 1, Job 23, then Job replied, look at verse 2, even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. Look at verse 3, if only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwelling. If that doesn't make sense, jump down to verse 8 and verse 9. This will make sense to you. If I go to the east or look to my right, he's not there. If I go to the west or I look to my left, I can't find him. Look at verse 9. When he's at work in the north ahead of me, I, I, I don't see him. And when he turns to the south, I, I catch no glimpse of him. You see, Job's perception up to verse 10 is the keyhole principle. I mean, Job was walking in the keyhole principle where his partial view started to look like the total view of what God is doing. So number one, number one, the perception. Now, now the second thing I want to share to you, and this, this is so key, number two, the pivotal shift. The pivotal shift. And there's one word. It's one word, and it's the first word of verse number 10. And you said it so well. But... I call this the holy but. And there's something powerful about the word but. The word but, if you remember in grammar, is a conjunction. I mean, and is a conjunction, and or is a conjunction, and but is a conjunction. And a conjunction connects two statements together, or two phrases together. But the word but is more unique than the word and or the word or. And maybe someone has done this to you. You're such a wonderful person, and I, I really think you're amazing, but doesn't that always make you nervous? You know, you're a teenager, and you're dating someone, and she says to you, I think you're wonderful, and you're just an amazing person, but anytime someone uses the word but, it's the words that follow it that seems to take more prominence. Am I right? And anything before the word but gets lost. And so, so God, I mean, I mean, the king of grammar is God. Come on, let's think it through. He, he designed to use this word, but. Because the words before, up to then, is, is Job walking in the keyhole view. And it's my complaint. And I look to the north. I don't see him. Look to the south. He's not there beside me. I don't know where God is. And, and all these guys are trying to comfort me. And it's not making any sense. But... But, you see, the word but is the pivotal shift. It's the pivotal shift. Number one, perception. Number two, the pivotal shift. And the pivotal shift teaches us that, that in the kingdom of God, there's no accidents, there's incidents. The pivotal shift teaches us that in the kingdom of God, God either causes things or God allows things. The pivotal shift teaches us that everything on earth must pass through heaven's filter. The pivotal shift teaches us that Satan is not in charge of our life. God is in charge of our life. The pivotal shift teaches us that God is still on the throne. 
That takes me to number three. Number one, the perception. Number two, the, the pivotal shift. But then there's, then there's, sorry, I'm sorry, let me just go back to number two. I, I, I can't go to number three. I've got to stay in number two. Number two teaches us, but, but he, but, but he. It's not just the word but, but the word he. I mean, I mean, what Job is saying, I, I, I've been complaining, but, but he, but, but God. You put God in the picture and everything changes. The pivotal shift, but, but he. Then there's number three, the permeating. Now, I, I got this unique word in your notes, and it's, it's, the, the, it's a Hebrew word, and you see it in your notes. It's the word yada. Everybody say yada, one, two, three. Yada. I mean, here Job says, but, but he knows. And, I, and I, here we're going to pull this verse apart. I started to study the word knows, and I, I, I got a bunch of words to tell you what the word knows mean in ancient Hebrew. First of all, it means he observes. He watches. Secondly, it means he cares. I mean, it's one thing for God to watch you. It's another thing for God to care about you. It doesn't just mean he observes and he cares. It also means he understands. Now, they'll put it together. He observes, he cares, and he understands. But, but, but then I started to study the word in the Hebrew language more, and there's two more things that I saw, and, and here it is. It also means closeness. In other words, he sees, he cares, and he understands, and he's close to you. But it's the last part of the Hebrew word that amazed me. Not just that he sees, not just that he cares, and not just that he understands, and not just that he's close to you, but it means he knows everything about you. It means he, he permeates every area of your life. Which means God knows what happens in the past. He knows what's happening now. He knows what's happening tomorrow. He knows what you're going to face. He knows what you're going through. He sees everything that you're walking through. And he cares. And he understands. And there's things that are going to happen in your life that you don't like. And don't make sense. And doesn't seem fair. But God is watching. And he cares. And he understands. And he's with you. And he's walking with you. And he's there at all times. Can somebody give a little witness in the house to that? He's with you at all times. You see, for me to try to explain to my cousin why he's walking through what he's walking through, I think my words would be shallow. But someday, he's going to see God face to face. Someday, it's going to come together. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like, man, can any, I don't, it doesn't make sense. This isn't fair. This isn't right. But God cares, observes. He knows what he's doing. He's with you, and he understands everything about you. So here it is. God understands everything about you more than you even understand yourself. He permeates. Number one, the perception. Number two, the pivotal shift. Number three, the permeating, yada. And then there's number four, the pathway. Number four, the pathway. And the Hebrew word is direk, D-E-R-E-K. And I, and I wrote down, I, I started to study the Hebrew word, and I saw some neat things that the Hebrew word direk means, the, the pathway. It means the road, but it also means the distance, the distance, how long it will be. 
It means the journey. It means the manner of the journey. And it means the direction that you're going towards. Now, now, let it soak in. It means the road, the distance, the journey, the manner, and the direction. In other words, God knows what you're walking through. And he's walking you through this for a purpose. And he's got a direction that he is taking you. And you need to hear this. The direction that God is taking you is for you and not against you. God is not trying to push you back. God is wanting to move you forward. Warren Wiersbe, one of the great writers of the church who just passed away in the last month or so, I think he was 87 years of age, talks about Job chapter 23 verse 10, when you're in the furnace of life. And he said, when you're in the furnace of life, God's eyes are on the clock and his hand is on the thermostat. In other words, he knows how long you should be going through this and he knows when enough is enough. But the Hebrew word path, let me say it again, the road, the distance, the journey, the manner, the direction. It's like God is moving you towards something. He's not pushing you back. He knows the distance. He knows the journey. He knows how you're going to walk through it. And he's moving you towards a direction. And so Job said, but he knows the way. So number one, the perception. Number two, the pivotal shift. Number three, the permeating. Number four, the pathway. But then number five, the pursuit. And, and there's, there's another Hebrew word that we're going to look at today. It's the word imad. I-M-M-A-D. Imad. And Job said, but he knows the way I take. The road that I imad. I take. And I started to study the Hebrew word imad, and I saw this. It means with me. It means by me. It means upon me. With me, by me, upon me. And I thought, wow, he knows the road that I take with me, upon me, and by me. I started to think about my cousin. And I started to think about what he's walking through. And let's be honest, that can make a person walk away from God when life doesn't make sense. It can make a person say, if God allows this to happen in my life, I don't need a God that allows this. But I watched my cousin in this journey not run away from God, but run to God and face this with God. He pursued And he is pursuing God. You can face life with God or without God. But I'm telling you right now, when you face it with God, it's the better way to face life. Somebody say, man. I'm looking out. And I know some of the journeys of some of you folks, life's not always been easy. But you would tell me when we face it with God, we can get through it. Imat. Imat. Job said, "But, but he knows the way that I take. 
Number one, the perception. Number two, the pivotal shift. Number three, the permeating. Number four, the pathway. Number five, the pursuit. But then we come down to number six, the promise. And it's a strange promise. And it's that one word, when. Now, let me, let me point this out to you. I, I'm going to state the obvious. But he knows the way that I take. It doesn't say if he has tested me. It says when he has tested me. Now, I know you'd love for me to stand on this platform and say to you, when you become a follower of Jesus, life is going to be so easy. When you become a follower of Jesus, no hardships will fall your way. You'd love for me to stand on this platform and say, when you become a follower of Jesus, you will face absolutely no difficulty in your life. But how many people know that is not true? Come on, how many people already know that? Not true. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he said, but have heart. I have overcome the world. The promise in our text is not when trouble will come, not if trouble will come, it's when trouble will come. I mean, let's be honest, you will face difficulty, you will face hardship, and I can't even begin to explain why some hardships seem harder than other hardships. I can't explain to you why some people seem to have very little go wrong in their life, and then I see other believers of Jesus, like so much has gone wrong in their life, I don't understand it, but, but I know the word is not if, the word is when. It's almost like God is promising you, you will face trouble. Here's the good news, when you face trouble, he will be with you through it. So number one, the perception. Number two, the pivotal shift. Number three, the permeating. Number four, the pathway. Number five, the pursuit. And then, and then we look at number six, the promise. Understanding that we all go through life's furnace. But then there is number seven, the process. The process. And what Job says here, in verse 10, he knows the way that I take when he has tested. And the Hebrew word is bechan, B-A-C-H-A-N. And it means to examine, it means to scrutinize, It means to test, and it means to approve. Now, the way that they have mined gold over the years has changed in some ways, but the the bottom line of it hasn't changed. Miners would get the rock, and they would take the rock that contains the gold, and they would put it in some kind of furnace, and the kind of furnace has changed over the years, but the bottom line is this, they would put the rock in a furnace and they would put lots of heat on the rock. And the more heat that is put on the rock, the more the dross and the dirt and the rocks and the bad stuff would float to the top. And they would skim away the bad stuff off the top. And the hotter the furnace, the more pure the gold. And so when when they would take the gold that had the rock and the the dross and the dirt and they throw it into the furnace and 
they turn up the heat and it would melt and the bad would skim to the top. They would scrape it away. And I don't know about you, but I don't like the furnace time. I can remember back when Jessica was just a young girl and Jennifer was young. And Jonathan, you were young and you remember the day that we discovered that your mom was diagnosed with cancer for the first time. I'll never forget that day. I mean, I'll never forget the day that Evelyn said, there's, there's a lump on my body. And she went to the doctor, and the doctor said, don't worry about it. It's just fatty tissue. You don't have to worry about it. This is nothing. And it didn't go away. And, and a few months later, she goes back, and the doctor said, we're going we're gonna to take that lump off you. And they took the lump off, and, and, and they discovered that it was cancer. And they called us into the office. And, and I'll never forget the day when the doctor leaned over his glasses and looked at me and said, Reverend Scar, your wife has cancer. We got into the car, and I can remember taking my fists and slamming them against the steering wheel. I was so angry. I was so upset. And you need to understand that on the heels of all this, our young daughter Jessica had fallen down the stairs, and she had bruises all over her body and we had taken her into the doctor and the doctor thought it was leukemia and they sent us to the, to the children's hospital in Toronto and only to discover that it was a rare blood disorder but I can remember this is all around the same time and I'm driving into Toronto and I can remember a license plate flew off of a car that I'm driving behind. Now if you know me in cars and lawns, I'm a fuss pot with my lawn and I'm a fuss pot with my car. And a license plate flies off a car and scrapes along my car. I mean, there was a day I'd pull over the car and be so upset. Not when your daughters and the doctors are saying it's leukemia. Not when your wife's got cancer in her body. I'll tell you, when you go through life's furnace, your perspective of life changes. And you begin to conclude life may not feel good, but God is good. You see, when you walk through life's challenges, you've got to have a pivotal shift. You've got to shift from the keyhole view. You've got to shift from the view that, that you don't understand all that God is doing. There's probably 10,000 things He's doing in your life right now. And you at the most only understand three of those things. And even the three of the things you understand, you only have a partial understanding and a limited understanding. And it still doesn't make sense. And it may not make sense this side of eternity. But someday, when you see Jesus, everything's going to come together. Everything's going to begin to make sense. Because God is good all the time. Life may not feel good, but God is good. And I've seen Christians struggle in their journey because their theology of God is so watered down and so weak. And they've come to the conclusion, when I become a follower of Jesus Christ, life is going to be so easy. Uh, 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 uh. Life is going to be tough. But God is good. And that's when you've got to cling to the Word of the Lord. But, 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 He knows the way that I take. And when He has tested me, Number one, the perception. 
And number two, the pivotal shift. Number three, the permeating. Number four, the pathway. Number five, the pursuit. Number six, the promise. And number seven, the process. He has, he has tested me. <laughs> but then there's number eight, the peculiarity. I mean, when I, when I saw this and I, and I discovered this in the verse, it kind of it kinda was drove home to me. He knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, me, not you, me, there's a peculiarity to what you're going through, which will be different from what I'm going through. But you've got to understand that God knows what he's doing. He's not against you. He is for you. He doesn't, he doesn't allow bad things to happen to you, to punish you. You see, some of Job's friends were trying to teach him that the reason why you're going through this is because you're not as righteous as you thought. How many people know bad things happen to good people? And it doesn't always make sense. And I don't understand why God allows me and Evelyn to walk through cancer twice and, and our daughter to walk through stuff. I don't know why. You've got to walk through stuff that is different than I walk through. And I've learned not to compare my furnace experience with someone else's furnace experience. And don't you conclude, well, mine's not that tough compared to what they're going through. Your mountain to you is big. And the valley that you're in is deep. And the fire that you're in is hot. And it can be so devastating. But you've got to Lift your eyes off of what you are walking through and look to, but God, but God, but God. Life isn't good, but God, you're good. Life is tough, but God, you're faithful. Life isn't easy, but God, you love me. God, I feel, I feel like you're a thousand miles away, but your word says that you never leave me and you never forsake me. Your theology needs to be based on who God is. And if it's not based on who God is, when life comes at you and it's tough, you're going to fall apart. But when your theology is based on who God is, when the storm comes, your anchor shall hold in Jesus Christ. We're in the midst of this. And Jessica, who by the way is doing great, hallelujah. And Evelyn who walks through cancer again three years ago, doesn't she look amazing? Praise the Lord. When Kathy was up here giving the announcement and said for the big give, I will, some people tell you to give something away that you don't want to give away. I looked at, I looked at one of the worship leaders and said, Evelyn just might give me away then. <laughs> We're walking through all this. And I'm at a prayer meeting in Oshawa, Ontario with a bunch of pastors and a young leader of a young adult group in another church came to me and pulled me aside and said, Mark, I don't know you well. And he said, I don't even know what you're walking through. And he didn't know. He said, but God has given me a word for you. And he didn't share it with the whole group. He shared it with me. And here's basically what he said to me. I don't know you. But I want you to know that God wants me to tell you he knows you. And he wants me to tell you that you are like an oak tree. And he said, Mark, God wants me to remind you that the oak tree stands in the midst of storms better than most trees. And he said, the reason why the oak tree stands in the storm better than most trees 
is because the roots are deeper than most trees. And I walked away, and I didn't know how to take that word, but then we walked through what we're walking through, and I begin to realize the reason why we could face what we're walking through is because our faith is not in what we walk through. Our faith is in who our God is. And I think that's the lesson that Job had to learn. (laughs) But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, Number one, the perception. Number two, the pivotal shift. Number three, the permeating. Number four, the pathway. Number five, the pursuit. (laughs) Number six, the promise. Number seven, the promise. Number eight, the peculiarity. But then number nine, watch this, the proceeding. The proceeding. Now, now let let me show you the words. I will come forth. And the Hebrew word is yatsha. Now, the Hebrew word that is used here, yatsha, is a strong, chosen word. And I wrote down some things. It means to go forth. It means to go forth to a place. It means to go forth to something. The emphasis and the strength of the Hebrew word is not where you've come from but where you are going towards. Are you guys hearing that today? I mean, God is speaking to Job. And he was complaining as these friends were trying to give him comfort. And it wasn't working. And then in the middle of the book, he shifts. And he makes this declaration. (laughs) He knows, but he knows the way that I take I'm sorry, I'm getting too excited this morning. When he has tested me, I will come forth. Now, I don't understand why some people go through trouble and havoc and difficulty their whole life. And I can't even make sense of that. But one writer said it the best. God's got all of eternity to make it up to them. And then another writer said, be reminded, you're only in this world for a short period of time compared to the span of eternity. You see, here's the bottom line. we got to shift our theology from living for today. And we need to start looking and living for eternity. We've got to understand that this world is not our home. We are just a pilgrim passing through. We're just here on earth for a short period of time. But someday, Pastor Brad, we're going to see Jesus. And we're going to see Him face to face. And I think all of my questions won't matter anymore when I see the face of Jesus Christ. You see, church, stop living for here and begin to live for an eternity in heaven. Somebody give a little clap offering of praise to the Lord. Wow. I will, I will come forth. But he knows the way that I take and when he's tested me, I will come forth. Number one, the perception. Number two, the pivotal shift. Number three, the permeating. Number four, the pathway. Number five, the pursuit. Number six, the promise. Number seven, the process. Number eight, the peculiarity. 
Number nine, the proceeding. And number ten, the purpose. As gold. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Evelyn and I have been married for 33 years. As of May the 3rd. We've been through lots. Not as much as some of you. Life hasn't always been easy. But I'll tell you, our faith is stronger. Our walk with God is deeper. Our perspective has been honed. There's things that we cared about before that we don't care about at all anymore. There's things that really mattered years ago to us that, that, needed, to be, that needed to be changed. And, and God has been doing some work on my character. You see, you see, God is more concerned about my holiness and my character than my happiness. And I'm still a work in progress. But when the roots of your life are deep, you will be able to say, my faith still holds. I want to close with a story that I have shared so many times in this church. But I felt prompted to share it again this morning. And it happened when we were pastoring in Bowmanville. And I remember taking a bus and going to, to Pensacola, Florida to a revival that's taking place there. And the bus driver was a man in our church who had a quartet. And the bus that he had bought was a bus that Rita McNeil owned. I was in the bus that Rita McNeil owned. And we're driving during the night, and I'm, I'm in the passenger seat, and Bobby is driving the bus. And I knew not long before I arrived in Bowmanville that Bobby's son was killed in a car accident, 16 years of age. He had left Port Perry to drive to Oshawa to have breakfast with his dad. It was a snowy day, and he hit ice, and his car crashed, and he died. And Bobby's recounting the story as we're driving in the bus, and we're in some state somewhere between Ontario and Florida, and it's the middle of the night, and tears are coming down his eyes, and he's, he's recounting the story. And then, and then he said, but Mark, but Mark, you need to hear me. My faith still holds. It doesn't seem fair, but my faith still holds. And he wrote a song called My Faith still holds. You've got to make a decision today, even before you go into life's furnace. Is the furnace experience going to destroy you? You see, God has either allowed it or caused it. Everything on earth must go through heaven's filter. And you've got to have roots that are deep. And you've got to be able to be like Joe. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. But he knows the way that I take. 
take. And when He has tested me, I will come forth as gold. You see, you've got to shift your thinking from what you're going through to who our God is. And I promise you, He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. He's as close as the mention of His name. He knows what you're walking through. He cares and He understands. He is a God who is good all the time. Somebody give a little witness in the house this morning. Wow. I want to invite you to stand to your feet and bow your heads and close your eyes. In just a moment, I'm going to open this altar. And I'm asking that every head will be bowed. And everyone's eyes will be closed. I'm asking that no one would leave unless it's absolutely urgent. And the first thing I want to ask is her heads are bowed and her eyes are closed. If today was the day that you died and you stepped into eternity, do you know that you know that you're going to heaven? Was there a time, a place, a moment that you asked Jesus to come into your life and forgive you of your sins? Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian, doesn't make you ready for heaven. You've got to personally ask Jesus to come into your life. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Bible says you can't buy your salvation, you can't earn it. It's by grace and by grace alone. Was there a time, a place, a moment that you personally asked Jesus to come into your life? As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I'm not going to prolong this moment. But I'm going to ask it again. If you died today, do you know that you're ready for heaven? And if you can't answer that question with a definite yes, my next question is, would you like to be ready for heaven? Would you like to ask Jesus to be the center of your life? just a moment, I'm going to count to three. And if you would like to step into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you want Him to be your Lord and your Savior. You want to try Christianity. You want Jesus to be the center of your life. You want to be ready for heaven. And you want to be led in this prayer. I'm going to count to three. Front to back, side to side, in the balcony, in the risers, if that's you. You want to be led in this prayer. I want you to lift your hand. After I count to three by lifting your hand, you're letting me know, Pastor Mark, I want to be ready for heaven. I want Christ to be the center of my life. Here it is. One, two, three. That's you. You just lift your hand as high as you can. God bless you. Remember, my hands are going up. You put your hand down lifted your hand. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. We're going to join you as you pray. So let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I ask you into my life. Please forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Today, I say yes to Jesus. Today, I make my peace with you. I pray this now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, it's party time. Open your eyes. Come on, it's party time. Come on, Woodville, it's party time. I don't get tired 
of watching people come to Jesus Christ. There's a number of you that lifted your hand. If you accepted Christ in your life, you made the best decision you could ever make. And if you don't attend a life-giving, Bible-believing church, we'd be honored if you joined us in the journey. And in a few moments, on your way out, there's a big word, follow. It's on a wall in the main lobby. Go there. we got a Bible for you. It's free. We just want to give you a Bible. It's free. And a little booklet we want to give you to help you in your new faith journey. And if you're our guest, go by the guest lounge. We want to bless you. If you're not in a connect group, go to the connect wall. You want to serve, go to the serve wall. But I want the altar workers immediately, just just come and just be ready, would you? Because Pastor Brad, you're going to lead us in a song of worship. And I felt the Lord say to me, open this altar this morning. There's going to be a whole bunch of people that are walking through something. They feel like they're in the furnace. And this word this morning is for them. But he knows. Come on, say it with me. But he knows the way that I take. Come on, Woodville. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Can we say it again? But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. You want prayer? Come on for it. Let's be family. We want to pray you through what you're going through. We want to pray that God Almighty would intervene and do something great. Come on. Pastor, would you lead us? You lack prayer. Come on forward. And I've tried so hard to see it. It took me so long to believe that you choose someone like Carry your victory. 